Hello, hello, and welcome to welcome to Strange Sound. This is Joe. Uh, this is a special episode of Strange Sound, kind of impromptu, on an unusual day, um, in an unusual period. Glad to have you with me. Glad to be back. I've been on a slight hiatus the last few weeks. I don't know if any of any of you out there have noticed, but uh, I haven't been posting any episodes. Fancy that. Fancy that. I think the last time I missed an episode was in the spring of last year, 2020, when I went into the hospital for about a week. Um, and I I missed an episode or two. Uh, but since then, I've been posting pretty much every week, except for these last three weeks when I was doing absolutely nothing in the way of strange sound. Anyway. I didn't do any strange sounds. I made no strange sounds over the last three weeks at all. Well, actually, I did make some strange sounds. Um, my other podcast, um, which I do with my brother typically, uh, though not not this past time, is called This Is Big Green. Uh, you can find out about that at big-green.net. That's our... Um, that's the podcast for our band, Big Green. It's been around since God knows when. Um, I encourage you to listen to it. Big-green.net, follow the podcast link. You will see the link for Strange Sound as well. You will also see a link for This Is Big Green, our other podcast. And there you will find a ridiculous collection of comments and remembrances and some music as well. Um, And... Yours truly. So here I am, um, back again. And as I say, this is a special episode. I'm not going to read a column today. Um, I'm going to let that go. I One of the reasons why I wanted to do a post, one of the reasons why I wanted to do an episode, I should say, um, is that it is both the 20th anniversary of 9-11, not on this very day, but these past few weeks. Um, the 20th anniversary of the start of the post-9-11 wars and also the occasion of the end of the Afghan war, which started shortly after 9-11, as, as all of you, I'm sure, know, as anyone who's listening to this podcast knows, um, that that war was in the... Um, was was sort of born in the midst of the post-9-11 um, anger, hysteria, you might say, um, frustration, um, desire for violence against our enemies, etc. And and there went the uh, there went the war. The war started shortly thereafter. So I I didn't want to let the 20th anniversary, and I'm not a big person for anniversaries, frankly, but I didn't want to let the 20th anniversary of 9-11 pass by without some kind of comment. And so that's that's sort of what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, a lot of people in podcasts and on television have been sharing their remembrances of how the day went for them. 
and I think this is kind of a narcissistic thing in a large, in a, in a real sense, but I can, I can sort of understand why people want to go back to that day 20 years ago and, and sort of share their experiences and their impressions on that day. It was, after all, um, a monumental event, a history-changing event, largely because of how we reacted to it, but also because it was just such a spectacular attack and so spectacularly successful in the sense that it it infused terror into our society more deeply than just about anything in my lifetime. And I have seen quite a bit over my 62 years, um, one or two things. Um, I have to say that the period after 9-11, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, reminded me most at that time of the period around the um, Iran hostage crisis in the late 1970s and into 1980. Um, was a very similar mood, very similar um, thirst for revenge, um, real kind of roiling anger um, that made its way out um, through the media, through various, in various different forms, through various different um, mediums, I should say, um, including music, uh, pop music at the time. People might remember that if they're if you're old enough. Um, and you know, nine eleven was similar. Nine <laughs> uh, eleven was more dramatic in a lot of ways. It was more traumatic. I remember um, just to share my own narcissistic story of nine eleven exploits. <laughs> I wasn't anywhere near the place. Let me make that clear. Nowhere near the place. Though, at that time in my life, that was a time, um, and I, I haven't been a frequent visitor to New York City uh, through the course of my life, kind of an infrequent visitor, but I probably visited New York more in the years around 9-11 than in any years before or since. Um, because I was working for a small agency, we had some major clients in New York City, and we used to go down periodically. I'd drive down or take the train down, and uh, I think I was down there two or three times in 1999, um, maybe once or twice in 2000, um, maybe more than that, I'm not sure, um, and not in 2001. <laughs> but it was only just a matter of 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 chance, right? So and and again, it's not it's not that that was I didn't have a close brush with 9/11, not by any means. Um I was safe and dry that day. Um none of my relatives were were impacted by it. Um so we were very fortunate. I I say that because a lot of people a lot of people seem to know someone or had a relative who was affected by 9/11 for some reason. I think it's because New York is just such a such a diverse um, gathering point in the United States and in the world, really. That it's it's hard to find people who didn't have some kind of tangential connection to people affected by that attack. Uh, my only connection to that was uh, a classmate of mine from 
from school, from grade school, high school, uh, a man named Michael O'Brien, who worked at Cantor Fitzgerald at the top of um, the World Trade Center, the second tower that got hit. And I always mix up the towers, so forgive me. I think it was the South Tower. Um, whichever tower got hit second, because he was one of those folks that uh, they weren't going to send them home because it was the other tower that got hit by a plane, not them, so they didn't need to go home. Uh, they didn't need to evacuate the, the Twin Towers because, after all, it wasn't it was just a plane, made a mistake, and plowed into the side of the of the first tower. And, uh, and he, uh, I believe he, like many people, he called his family to say that he was okay. And that, you know, everything was going to be all right. And then from what I understand, they had started the evacuation of the tower when mostly because they were concerned. I mean, this is what the word was from, from the managers of the building. Mostly it was because they were concerned for uh, structural integrity of the World Trade Center in general. They were afraid that the other tower, um, what was happening there would be affecting affecting the tower they were in. So they started the evacuation about the time that the second plane hit. And and that's my, my uh, former schoolmate, my late schoolmate, Michael O'Brien, was at Cantor Fitzgerald, which is, was near the top of the tower, was obviously above where the plane impacted, and he he died, um, along with you know thousands of other people. And uh, you know I'm not look I'm not making a special claim here uh, about <laughs> Michael. I knew Michael in grade school. He was one of the first people I met when I when I moved to my hometown, and. Uh, I, you know, we were friends when we were in grade school together. I had lost touch with him more or less. Um, didn't hang out with him very much in high school um, and had lost touch with him since high school. So it had been a good solid probably 25 years since I'd even talked to Michael uh, by by the time 9-11 rolled around. So I'm not saying that, you know, I lost the best friend in my in, in my life. No, I just remember him, you know. And everybody has something like that, right? That's not unusual. Um, a lot of people knew somebody who was affected by that, that catastrophe. And a lot of people have known folks that were affected by what happened after that catastrophe, the, the serial wars that we got involved in. Um, and a lot of many thousands of Americans have been caught up in that. I mean, certainly many more thousands of people in other countries have been caught up in that. It's just been a horrible, sordid affair from one end to the other for 20 years. Uh, I What I usually do on the event and the uh, anniversary, and again, I'm not big on anniversaries, but <laughs> what I usually do if I'm, cognizant of the fact that it's the anniversary of 9-11, which occasionally I am, is thumb through this little book that uh, Jim Ridgway wrote a few years after 9-11. It's called Unan- five Unsa- The Five Unanswered Questions About 
what the 9-11 Commission report failed to tell us. Now, I know this is going to sound like it's some kind of conspiracy theory book, you know, about, you know, the how the Bush administration planned 9-11 or something like that. No, it wasn't. It's, it's nothing like that. It's actually, it actually just kind of describes, it describes the, the failures of our, of our aviation system, for one thing, <laughs> our commercial air system industry, for one thing, and just how much ass-covering there was at the time that these planes were hijacked um, that got in the way of actually saving lives. Lives could have been saved on these planes and on the ground if, if both the airlines and the air traffic control system writ large in the United States had done what they should have done, which was inform all the pilots that were currently in the air that this was happening and to, and to beware. Now I know that probably sounds like, you know, um, hindsight is 2020, right? That how could anyone possibly know that there would be multiple hijackings? Even if you told them there was hijacking, you know, maybe, maybe they wouldn't have they wouldn't have assumed that that was going to happen on more than one plane. Well, maybe, <laughs> but still, uh, we were uh, incredibly unready for this. And the systems that we have around air travel are such that it made it almost impossible to make people safe. Uh, there are sections in this book by Jim Ridgway that actually still raise goosebumps for me. Um, and part of it is just transcripts of conversations, of phone conversations with like, um, a couple of the stewardesses on flight 11 there's one named Betty Ong, and I'm sure some of you have probably read or heard these. Um, it, it's just chilling because these women were on the phone with people on the ground. Like Betty Ong was on the phone for something like 20 minutes to half an hour before the plane crashed. And the the controllers were... <laughs> the controllers were just not responding. They were not they were not responding in a way that you would expect um people in in um positions of authority or responsibility, I should say. They they just w- weren't responding in a way that <laughs> that you would expect people in a position of responsibility to respond to the kind of information that this woman was putting forward. But I think even more affecting than that is this one passage, and I think I'm going to read a little bit of this just just for some context. 
Um, in June 2004, family members of the victims of the four 9-11 flights attended a briefing in Princeton, New Jersey, arranged by the FBI. There they heard a tape which had reportedly just surfaced, quote-unquote, of conversations among managers on duty at American Airlines headquarters when information began coming in from the two flight attendants, the two flight attendants that I mentioned before, Betty Young and um, another woman, Amy Sweeney. Um, family members were forbidden to disclose what they what they heard because they were told it was part of the case the FBI was building against accused 9-11 conspirator Zacharias Musawi. But several of them became so outraged by the tape that they broke the gag order. According to Gail Sheehy's account in the New York Observer, family members reported that the American Airlines tape reveals an immediate concern for secrecy with such statements as, don't spread this around, keep it close, keep it quiet, and let's keep this amongst ourselves. What else can we find out from our own sources about what's going on? According to a former American Airlines employee who heard the tape, two managers, two managers in systems operations control were saying to one another, do not pass this along. Let's keep it right here. (laughs) This is from Jim Ridgway's book, by the way, just as a reminder, uh, the five unanswered questions about 9-11. And, you know, this is... When I think about the women that were talking to these... um, to these people on the ground uh, from these hijacked planes. It is just, it, it's, I feel a combination of like rage and just tremendous sorrow. Just thinking about how these, these poor, these poor people were like on these hijacked planes heading for, heading for their doom. And these people were not taking them seriously and they were not, people on the ground were not responding in a way that could have saved lives. It's, it's really, it's pretty amazing. Uh, now, is this sort of, can this sort of thing happen on a, uh, at present? I mean, have things changed enough to keep this from happening again? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Maybe. Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. Can't really say. Um, but a lot of water under the bridge since then, right? We've had two wars. We've had everyone in the country spied on at some level. Pretty much everybody. They just basically swept up all of the data from all of our communications and put it through the Atabacron and <laughs> and uh, sifted through to find out, you know, who's suspicious and who's not suspicious. I like to think that we're coming out of this after 20 years, that we're finally coming out of this era of um, endless war 
and of end this reaction to these spectacular and unfortunately successful attacks. But <laughs> I don't know. It's changed us so fundamentally that I'm not sure that we are quite over this yet. It's really kind of redefined how we how we view the world and how we deal with the world. It isn't dramatically different it isn't dramatically different from how we've dealt with it in the past, really? Not really. But this new phase that began 20 years ago has a lot of staying power. And we're still spending enormous amounts of money on the military. And we're still planning, you know, future deployments of our military. On, you know, missions that um, we may not know about until they're underway. In fact, our military is already carrying out missions that, that we don't hear about on anything like a regular basis. They're all over Africa. They're really all over everywhere. <laughs> spread a little thin but they're out there we have 800 bases around the world so on this uh, on this anniversary of 9-11 and I don't want this to be too much of a downer my friends but on this anniversary of 9-11 these past few weeks I just want to wish you all well and encourage you to sort of keep your eyes open. Um, let's hope that we can make this um, a 20-year phenomenon <laughs> that, you know, comes to an end like the Afghan war came to an end. In other words, just bring it to a close. Let us move on. Let us build um, a better future um, out of the ashes of this era and let's sort of depart from the ways that we adopted in the wake of this horrible attack. Let's take whatever lessons we can we can take from it in a positive way, but let's let's leave some of the negative shit behind. Okay, well that's that's really all I have to say. Um if you uh, if you want to reach out to me, by all means, um, get in touch with me at big-green.net. Uh, follow the contact link. You'll find ways to get in touch with me there. I'm also on Twitter at Strange Sound Pod. Um, you can find a way to leave a voice message um, at anchor.fm/strangesound. That's uh, that's our um, that's our podcast home page, and you can comment on the show, like the show, share the show, complain about the show, do whatever you like. Be glad to hear from you. Okay, so until next time, great talking to you. Take care out there. We'll see you soon.